The School of Ministry and Leadership is the meeting from Potter's Family Chapel where we gather week after week to peer into the Word of God to understand whether or not it has anything to say to our leadership. And time after time, the Word proves that indeed it does. You see, in the beginning, God created man and woman, and He blessed them both and commanded them to have dominion over every created thing in the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. This is a call to leadership, for us to steward our God-given gifts and talents to cultivate the field he's called us to for his glory. We all have the seed of leadership in us, and God wants you to be equipped to lead because the world needs you right now. No matter who you are, it's my prayer that as you listen and as you begin to believe, you will see yourself growing as a leader. God bless you, and God bless your leadership. So this is our second week of the month of stewardship. And last week I started and I told you how excited I was because basically stewardship is just another word for leadership it's another word for governing for ruling for reigning and all of that is tied up with our call the first thing that god did when he spoke to the man after he had created the man and he had created the woman and he had them look over every wonder that he had created previously the firmament in the sky the stars the moon the deep of the seas God filled them with all kinds of creatures, some that we're still discovering. If you pay attention to science, you'll read that every so often, and, and, and just recently they discovered a new fish that had never been seen before. So they're still naming fish and discovering fish that live so deeply at the bottom of the sea that we're still discovering what God created so long ago. But when God made man and woman, he commanded them to be fruitful, to have dominion, to subdue the earth and replenish it. But he made Adam a steward over the Garden of Eden to take care of it, to sustain it, and to, to cultivate it as, a, as part of Adam's worship. And so we are also called to be stewards. And we live in a very different context. We don't live in Eden. We live outside of Eden toiling the hard earth that sometimes still produces thistles and thorns for us. But thanks be to God that even though we do toil, we toil being saved from that curse and knowing that our King will come again and, and restore everything as it originally was. But until such a time, we're called to steward. And so this month presents us with so much material Stewardship is such an important biblical concept. It's one of the first concepts we meet in the book of Genesis. It's one of the concepts that follows us through the Old Testament and through to the New Testament. We see Jesus, particularly in Luke's gospel, speaking at length on stewardship. And so this month just gives us a lot of material to work with in terms of us trying to understand what stewardship is how stewardship applies to our calling, our vocation, our ministries, and how we are to be as leaders who steward the mysteries of God. This is what 
Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe, he says that the attendants of God are stewards unto his mysteries and that it that a steward it is required of a steward to be faithful. And so whereas last week we looked at what does it what does this faithfulness mean? What does it demand? What does it require? And we looked at Joseph as an example. This evening we will stay in the Old Testament. I'm trusting God that by next week we will zoom forward into the New Testament, but this evening we're still in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at Solomon. And it's quite interesting that I was drawn to Solomon's story. I find that the examples that the Lord is giving me these days are, are men who I have not often taught from. So we saw Noah a few weeks ago. And this evening we are going to spend it with Solomon. And in fact, I don't think I've ever taught from Solomon. Um, but as I prepared this study, we see that Solomon's a very interesting man who's going to teach us about stewardship. And I suppose one of the reasons why I have not gone to Solomon uh, frequently is because often when we think about Solomon, we think about his ending. We know that he didn't end well. Um, and yet there are so many deep lessons that Solomon can teach us about how he began. So we know that Solomon was the wisest man of his age. And so when we think about Solomon, we think primarily of his wisdom um, and we think about the books that he wrote. So he wrote parts of, not all of, but parts of the book of Proverbs. When you read Proverbs, you see that some of those Proverbs are of Solomon and some of them are of other people. But we know that many of his experiences are captured in the book of Proverbs. But we know Solomon mainly from the book that he wrote of Ecclesiastes when he was an old man and he was looking back on his life. And after he had lived a life that his wisdom allowed him to try different things, his wealth and riches allowed him to try different things. Solomon had this YOLO attitude. He wanted to try everything once. And after all of that, he concluded that all was vanity. And yet in Solomon's inability to follow God until the end, to follow God with the true heart that his father David had, Solomon can still teach us something about stewardship. And so we're going to look at this this evening. So let us just first start by committing the School of Ministry and Leadership into the hands of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the School of Ministry and Leadership. Once again, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come before you and to be humbled beneath your mighty hand, to sit at your feet, Lord, and to learn of you. We thank you that your word teaches us, Lord, that we are to meditate on your word day and night, and that by doing so, we will guide ourselves into how to live, how to obey you, how to follow your paths, how to live under your voice and within your will. And so we thank you, Lord, that this evening you speak to us again about how we are to be faithful stewards unto you, how we are to steward the gifts, the 
treasures, the talents, the time that you have given us, the callings and the vocations, how we are to steward where we find ourselves, whether those are in good situations or less than good situations, you still require of us to steward those places. And so we thank you this evening, Lord, that you will open our minds and open our spirits to your understanding, that as we peer into your word, you will give us clarity. You will also grant us courage, Lord, to fulfill the word that we hear this evening. Father, I pray that there shall be nothing that would prevent your word from being received this evening. Holy Spirit, may you hover over this assembly as you always do. And may you do a new thing in the hearts of your people who are gathered here this evening, who will join us later and who will listen to this message even later. All of these blessings, Lord, we have laid down before your altar and we've prayed believing in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. So tonight we're going to speak about the lineage of stewardship, the lineage of stewardship. And the point that we're going to make is that the steward often inherits, often inherits or is imparted the role of steward. And so when we begin to look at Solomon, the first thing that we should note is that Solomon's story is quite long and it's quite diffuse. Even if we leave out the book of Proverbs and we leave out the book of Ecclesiastes, and if we only look at Solomon the steward, we see that still his story gets woven through at least three books of the Old Testament. It starts in 2 Samuel, we see it in 1 Kings, and then we also see it in 2 Chronicles. Of course, we know that 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings cover much of the same terrain, but they were written at different times. Kings was written according to tradition by the prophet Jeremiah, and Chronicles was written according to tradition by Ezra, and Chronicles was written as the people of Israel were in the Babylonian captivity when they were coming out and they needed a record of their ancestry. They had lost, they, they, didn't, they didn't want to lose much more of it, and so they had the scribes write down these long family lineages so that they could be able to track them once they returned to Jerusalem. But then they also retell the story of the making of Israel, if you will. And so the differences that we see between Kings and Chronicles, though many of the stories are the same, Kings tends to be the personal story of David. David's rise and David's fall, David's becoming king, the most celebrated king of ancient Israel, versus Chronicles, which is much more of a political history of the establishment of the kingdom of, 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 of Israel. And so that's why certain stories appear in Kings but do not appear in Chronicles, but the tellings are the same. And so these differences actually then become helpful to us when we are trying to understand the complementary view they give. And so I will be reading much more from Chronicles, um, but I actually would encourage all of you 
to go back and read these three books in their entirety because they're actually wonderful books. I mean, you read them and it's like anything that you would watch on Netflix. There's a lot of intrigue and drama and action and romance and um, they're just very, very interesting. But in order to understand in depth what we're talking about, read them all. Um, but tonight we're just going to pick and choose from some of the the key parts that make our point. Although I will be reading at length tonight, and I have to say that I will probably be doing a little more reading and reflection than teaching, but that's how uh, the message came to me this evening. So what do we know about Solomon? What do we know about Solomon? Let's start with his end. I already alluded to the fact that we, we know Solomon from his Proverbs, the Proverbs that are captured in the book of Proverbs, though all of those Proverbs are not his. But we mainly understand Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes. When Solomon is an old man, he looks back on the opportunities that he had, on the kingdom that he squandered, and he concludes at the very, very end of Ecclesiastes, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And so we can see that over the course of his lifetime, Solomon was a poor steward of the command and the giftings that God gave him. But it wasn't always so. And I suppose the first point that I would just make to us this evening is a point of warning that being a steward unto God is a lifelong vocation. And sometimes we think that stewards are stewards only of an event or a particular task or in a given moment. But if we are to be attendants of Christ, if we are to be stewards of God's mysteries, then we are to understand that this is a lifelong calling. And so this is what Solomon missed. Solomon missed the lifelong nature of being a steward. However, Solomon was a key steward in a moment that was very important to the history of God's people. And so this is what we're going to look at this evening. And when we look at Solomon, we see that he was one of many sons of King David. We know that David had sons born to him while he was reigning at Hebron. So Amnon and Kiliab and Absalom and Adonijah and Shephatiah and Ithrim were the sons who were born to David at Hebron. But after David captures Jerusalem and he takes many more wives and concubines, he has many more sons and they are listed out as being Shamua and Shobab and Nathan and Solomon. All of these four were born to Bathsheba, but David had other sons as well, Ibhar and Elishua and Nepheg and Noga and Japhia and Elishama and Eliada and maybe two Elipalets. I wasn't sure um, because the name is listed twice, but the Bible says that nine in all. So possibly two sons with the same name, Elipalet. And we know that Solomon's starting wasn't 
the best. But according to the name that he's given, we know that God loved Solomon from the beginning, despite the conditions of his conception. So we know, we remember the story of David and Bathsheba, and the first child that Bathsheba conceived died after seven days. And then Bathsheba conceived again, and this child was the child Solomon. And the Bible tells us that the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Jedidiah translates to loved by God. But this is what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 25. So Solomon was beloved by God from the beginning. He was given the name Jedidiah, but we know him mainly by his name Solomon which sounds like the Hebrew word shalom for peace. And God's promise to Solomon was that it would be peace that would mark his reign. And so as Solomon is growing up quietly, we don't know much about his upbringing, but as Solomon is growing up, we know that there's in parallel this other drama that is happening in David's family that Solomon's older brothers, there's this whole mess that takes place between Amnon and Tamar and Absalom. And even though that has nothing to do with the child Solomon, we know that it will have everything to do with his destiny. Because of course, Amnon gets killed by Absalom, and then Absalom gets killed in the throes of war, in a civil war. He's killed by Joab. And David mourns the loss of his sons, but then returns back to Jerusalem to continue reigning. And in David's reign, so after the death of Absalom, once David returns to Jerusalem, when you read 2 Samuel, when you read, yeah, 2 Samuel, these stories get captured. So David continues to face wars with the Philistines. There's that episode with David and the census where he he runs a census which goes against the word of the Lord and God punishes the people of Israel until David makes a sacrifice on the threshing floor of, of, of Ornan or uh, Aronan's threshing floor. And that same threshing floor will actually be the location of the future temple of God. So that's all the background to Solomon's story. And then... In his, in his adulthood, Solomon jumps onto the scene. He's about 20 years old when we open 1 Kings. And we don't know what happened to Kiliab, David's second-born son, who was actually Abigail's son. But for some reason, when 1 Kings opens up, we have the fourth son, Adonijah, who puts himself forward to be king. And even though Jewish custom of the day stated that it was the oldest living son who would be the successor to the king, who would be king, in this case, it wasn't to be. And if you are simply reading your Bible chronologically, if you go from 2 Samuel to 1 Kings and you read Adonijah putting himself forward to be king, you would think it's normal because you would say, yeah, well, Adonijah was the fourth born, the, the first two were no more. We, we don't know, the, the, the first born and the third born are no more. We don't know, we haven't heard about the second born, but 
yeah, it makes sense that Adonijah should be king. Um, the only thing that doesn't make sense is why he wouldn't have discussed it with his father <laughs> in advance, and we'll read a little bit. But if you just read chronologically, then 1 Kings makes total sense. Adonijah should be king. You need to go to Chronicles in order to actually get the background. But if we first just read 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, the Bible says, Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Joahida, Nathan the prophet, Shimei and Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. So let's just pause there. Really interesting to note a few things. The, the first point that I want to make here is that there is always a question of succession. We're speaking tonight about the lineage of stewardship, and I want us to note that there is always a question of succession. There may be one who usurps the throne because he believes that it should be his, but then there's always one who has been entrusted by God from before time to carry out the assignment of the throne. And we often get confused because we think that the throne is only for sitting on. The throne is only for position. The, the throne is only for looking pretty. The throne is only for ruling. But the throne is actually for work. The throne is actually to fulfill something. The throne is for the one who will get the assignment done. The throne, in other words, is for the one who will steward. And in this case, the stewardship task was stewarding the people of God. And this was a task that had not been assigned to Adonijah. We'll see that this task had been assigned to Solomon. And so the question that I would ask you this evening is, is what throne has God given you? Why has God put you on a throne? What is the stewardship assignment for which you've been given this throne? And so as we continue, we're going to now turn to the Chronicles account of this story so that we can understand if we want to look at the lineage of stewardship. I'm going to suggest to you this evening that the lineage of stewardship teaches us five things. And we'll see those five things as we look at the scripture. So let's turn to 1 Chronicles, chapter 22, verses 5 to 16. And I'm quite tempted just to read it to you because um, you know I love to read the Word of God, but because everything is here and I think that it's better just to hear it in the way that it was written rather than me trying to explain it. And so because I'm reading at length, I'm reading from the NIV translation because the English is fairly straightforward. 
So the first point we want to see is that the steward stewards the father's riches. So if we want to look at the lineage of stewardship and understand why Solomon was given the throne, what it was that Solomon had to steward over, then the first point is, is that the steward stewards the father's riches. So 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 5 to 16. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this is the word of the Lord that came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then, you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord, a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone and you may add to them. You have many workers, stone cutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. Hallelujah. So we see in this lengthy passage a few things. We see David speaking to Solomon, and speaking to Solomon that even in his youth, even though he was only 20 years old at this time, so quite young, quite green, not very experienced, certainly doesn't know how to run a kingdom, certainly doesn't know how to build a temple, the temple for the name of the Lord, something that had never been seen in Israel up until that point. David says, I wanted to do this, but God prevented me. However, I know that you are inexperienced and, and don't necessarily know how to do it. So the riches that I have, I've gathered and collected and prepared them for this task. 
even though you are the steward of this task, I am giving you my riches. And so part of your calling is to steward my riches, steward the Father's riches in order to fulfill this great assignment. And I think that's quite powerful, that part of the lineage of the steward is to actually steward the Father's riches. And here we're speaking about every kind of father, spiritual father, ministerial father, earthly father, mentors, those who've come before us. Steward the riches, the giftings, the talents, the experience that they have in order to fulfill the assignment at hand, the reason for which you've been called to steward. And so David makes these provisions for the temple before Solomon, and then he bequeaths them to him. And so that's why we understand that the lineage of stewardship is about this inheritance or about this impartation in order to be able to steward and fulfill the assignment. And then David lists the quantities of gold and silver and bronze and wood that he's gathered for the task at hand, which is building the temple. But I like what he says. He says, even though these are all my riches, so I'm giving you my gold, I'm giving you the silver I've collected, I've given you the bronze, you have all of these craftsmen at your command. David says something very important. He says, and you may add to this. Meaning that the steward isn't simply responsible for receiving what has been bequeathed, what has been inherited, what has been imparted, but the steward is also called to add to that. And that's a very important point that we shouldn't miss. And then David quotes Moses by saying, keep the word of the Lord, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Have I not commanded you? And then he says, now begin, now begin the work. So the first point about the lineage of stewardship is that the steward stewards the father's riches. Let's look at the second point, And for that, we will turn to First Chronicles still, but let's turn to chapter 28. And again, I will read in length from the verse one all the way to the verse 20. So in the first passage that we read in chapter 22, David is speaking simply to Solomon. Here in chapter 28, we see David now speaking to the people. So verse one starts, it says, David summons all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. King David rose to his feet. So let me just pause there and just say, I didn't read it in 1 Kings, but at this point, David is very, very old. These are the days where he is cold and he's lying in bed being warmed by Abishag because he can't stay warm. So we have to picture David at this point being a very old man, a very withered man, for those of us who've spent time with our very, very elderly grandparents, you know when the, when the frame is very small and the frame is very frail. And I just find it so interesting that the Bible is 
clear to show us David at this stage. So we've known David since he was 17, when he was a young man with ruddy good looks. And then we knew him as a great and mighty warrior. But in this chapter, we find him to be a very, very old man. And yet, as he has summoned all of the leaders and the people to Jerusalem, because he wants to speak to them something very important, it says that he rises to his feet. So I've just digressed there to paint this picture so that we can understand the significance when it says King David rose to his feet. So King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah he chose my family. And from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and he will be my father, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever. If he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel in the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. And then it goes on and on and it speaks about the plans. It speaks about the weights of the gold and the gold lampstands and the lamps and the weights of the of each lampstand and the, sh the show table for the consecrated bread, it goes into all of that detail up until the verse 19. And then King David says, all this I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. And he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is completed. Hallelujah. So why reading that in detail? Because I want us to see that in the first conversation, David is having a private conversation with his son. And that inheritance, that, that impartation, what the riches that he bequeaths to Solomon in order to steward this assignment, which is building the temple of the Lord, is a father-son, one-on-one, intimate conversation. In this passage, we have David assembling all of the leaders. And so he ratifies what he has spoken to Solomon in secret. He ratifies that in public by having all of the leaders understand that David's naming Solomon as his successor was not by his own will, not by his choice, not because Solomon was his favorite, but because it was God's will. This is why Chronicles helps us to understand what happens in 1 Kings. We don't understand the controversy of Adonijah putting himself first to be king until we understand that, in fact, it was recorded that God had selected Solomon from before time to be the steward of the throne for the assignment of building the temple. And so David calls all the leaders and he explains this to them, that it will be Solomon who has been given the stewardship to build the temple. And so here, if in the first passage that we read, our point was that the steward stewards the father's riches, in this passage, what we see is that the steward stewards the father's vision. So David had been given the plans for the temple, just as Moses had been given the plans for the tabernacle. And we can read all of the detail of what under the inspiration of the Spirit, he had written down all of the notes of the measurements, the cubits that needed to be met, the weight of the gold for the lampstands and for the table of the showbread and for the altars, all of the designs of the pillars, the length of the the cherubim's wingspan, the number of pomegranates that circled the pillars, all of those details David wrote down. And he gives them in public he gives them to Solomon. So Solomon is now being charged with the father's vision. This vision that the father was not able to implement himself, but he has kept it and he is now imparting it to Solomon to now fulfill this lineage of stewardship. Let's look at the third point that we want to make, which is that the steward stewards the father's prayers. If we turn now to 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles is not very long, actually. So you can read it. You can read, you can read 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 1 and 2 Chronicles tonight before you sleep. It's not long. If we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and here I don't have to read very long, but if we read from verse 7 to verse 10. So now Solomon is having his own encounter with the Lord. And in the verse 7, it reads, That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. 
for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Amen. And so what's, what's interesting and what we miss actually um, in the NIV, if I had read the King James in the previous passage, when David is speaking to Solomon, he, he expressly says, um, David expressly prays for Solomon to have wisdom in order to lead the people and in order to fulfill this assignment of building the temple. And so in his, in his first encounter with the Lord, when God shows up to Solomon, Solomon is now king, David is now dead. And the Lord says, Solomon, ask of me what you want, whatever, I'll give it to you. And we know that Solomon asks for wisdom. And the, the point that I want us to see here is, is that the prayer that Solomon prays is in fact not his own prayer. Solomon has stewarded the prayer of his father. It was his father's prayer that he should have the wisdom to be able to lead these people and build this temple. And so in the first chance that Solomon gets when the Lord shows up and says, Solomon, ask of me, Solomon asks for wisdom. He asks for what his father asked for him. In other words, the steward is stewarding the father's prayers. And so we know that God answers this prayer. Not only does he give Solomon wisdom, he gives Solomon great wealth and great honor because he expressly didn't ask for those things. Solomon didn't ask for his enemies to be destroyed. He didn't ask for long life, but God gave him all of those things anyway, because his, 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 his ask was for wisdom. And if we turn to the next passage, fourth passage, we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 2. I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 1. So chapter 2, verse 1 says, Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. And then he conscripted and it tells us all of the things that he did in order to make the temple. In chapter 3, it says, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite, the place provided by David. He began building on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. And then when we look at the chapter 5, verse 1 says, When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. So again, if we had read from the King James, what we would have seen was a particular wording. It tells us that Solomon determined to build. Solomon determined to build. 
So I think that would have been in chapter in the chapter 3, verse 1. Whereas I read, then Solomon began to build, in the King James it says Solomon determined to build. And he uses the plans that his father gave him. And so what we see from Solomon is that there's a point at which the steward determines to fulfill the assignment. Up until now, what we just have is we have David's. We have David's riches. We have David's vision. We have David's prayers. We have David's preparation. We have the longing in David's heart. We have the instruction that David gives to the leaders and to the people of Israel. But now we see this turning point where the steward owns the riches, owns the vision, owns the prayers, takes up the instructions, takes up the plans, and the steward determines to build. And so this is the place where we can see that the wisdom that Solomon asked for is given to him for action. So going back to the earlier point that I made, which is that the throne is for work. The throne is to fulfill something. The throne is not simply for lording over, but the throne is to accomplish something. The steward sits on the throne in order to accomplish the work of the throne. And here the wisdom that Solomon had been given was for this action, which in Second Chronicles chapters 2, 3, and 5, we see now shift into Solomon's own. Solomon determines to build. Because for the steward, the steward could have the riches, have the father's riches, have the father's vision, have the father's prayers, have the kingdom that has been left behind, have the instructions, have the plan, and yet not determine himself to fulfill the stewardship assignment. But here we can see that Solomon actually takes hold of the wisdom that has been given to him. He takes hold of that wisdom for action and he determines to build. And then the chapter five tells us that he completes the assignment. In other words, this moment for which he had been called into stewardship, this moment reaches its end. And I did say at the beginning that the vocation of the steward is lifelong. And this is the one thing that Solomon missed. And we read it in the book of Ecclesiastes at the end. But in this particular moment that we're reading about this evening, in this moment where Solomon has been given the assignment of building the temple, and he's been given all of the prayers, plans, riches, instruction to fulfill that, he's been given the wisdom to fulfill that, we see that at this point, he's a faithful servant. He's a faithful steward. He's a good steward because the chapter 5 of Second Chronicles tells us that the temple is completed. So as we're closing, what then is the fifth and final point about the lineage of stewardship? Let's just quickly recap the points that we made. We said that the lineage of stewardship teaches us five things. Number one, it teaches us that the steward stewards the father's riches. Number two, it teaches us that the steward stewards the father's vision. Number three, that the steward stewards the father's prayers. Number four, that the steward stewards the father's plans. 
And when the assignment is finished, when the stewardship role is completed, what then is the stewardship function for? And we see this, of course, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And when I read from the verse 1 and 3, the Bible says, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Hallelujah. So this is the point, that everything that the steward does is meant for God's glory. That when the stewardship assignment is completed, God responds to the steward's faithfulness. God responds to the steward's fulfilled actions. And his glory fills the temple. So we conclude tonight that the vocation of stewardship is lifelong, that this is God's good intent. But of course, because of our sinful natures, it becomes conditional. David warned Solomon and he said, if, if you continue. And we know that because we know both good and evil, we are often faced with this choice to fulfill and complete the vocation of stewardship that's on our lives or to fall short of it, to fall short of God's glory. And this is what happened to Solomon, that he didn't heed his father's word. He didn't cling to the Lord. And Solomon got distracted with all kinds of things. And he says that at the end of his life, the conclusion of the matter is that man should fear God and should obey him, that this is our service, this is our duty as mankind. And so I pray for us this evening. I pray that the Lord would help us become good and better and faithful stewards unto him, that our spirits would receive this inheritance and this impartation of the lineage of stewardship that we would be able to fulfill the riches and the prayers and the wisdom and the vision and the plans that have gone before us, but that we've been called at such a time as this to sit on a particular throne, to fulfill a given stewardship assignment for his glory alone. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen.